Book Dreams, a member of the Podglomerate Network and LitHub Radio. Welcome to Book Dreams, the podcast for everyone who loves books and misses English class. I'm Julie Sternberg. And I'm Eve Yohalem. In each episode of this podcast, we use books as a way to explore questions that fascinate us. And in this episode, we consider how reading a novel can be an act of political rebellion. We're so excited about our guest today, Azar Nafisi. You probably know about her first book, Reading Lolita in Tehran. It was a memoir about her years in Iran during and after the revolution, when she formed a book club with seven of her female students, where they read forbidden Western classics in secret. Azar's new book is called Read Dangerously, The Subversive Power of Literature in Troubled Times. It's structured as a series of letters to her late father, and it focuses on the parallels and connections between the totalitarian mindset in Iran and totalitarian tendencies here in the United States. Read Dangerously is about literature as resistance, not only writing it, but reading it too. You know, as someone who spends, I feel, too much time reading and not enough time acting. <laughs> no, you know, not, possible. Do, <laughs> yeah, not possible. I do love the idea that curling up on my couch in New York with a great book can somehow counter totalitarianism. Yeah, I love that idea too. And it's one of the many great points we explore with Azar. But first, a few words about her. Azar Nafisi is the author of the multi-award-winning New York Times bestseller, Reading Lolita in Tehran, as well as Things I've Been Silent About and The Republic of Imagination. Formerly a fellow at Johns Hopkins University's Foreign Policy Institute, she's taught at Oxford and several universities in Tehran, and she's currently Centennial Fellow at Georgetown University's Walsh School of Foreign Service. Azar's writing has appeared in publications including The New York Times, The Washington Post, The New Republic, and The Wall Street Journal. One last thing to know before we get started. In her book, Azarar talks about Salman Rushdie, who, as you probably know, was viciously assaulted at a public lecture on August 12th. We recorded our conversation with Azar before that attack took place. We asked Azar to explain the central thesis of her book, how reading a novel can become an act of defiance. Here's what she said. One of the things about um, a good reader or a great reader or a reader that becomes part of the book is if, like Alice in Wonderland, uh, she gives in to her imagination. She goes into the book without any presuppositions. She doesn't go to the book in order to be confirmed or have her presuppositions come true. She goes there to discover something new. Mm -hmm. And so, like Alice running after that white rabbit without uh, saying, am I crazy? This rabbit is running. Where is it going? (laughs) And then being afraid to jump down a hole that she doesn't know where it will take her, the readers would be rewarded because they discover um, something of the truth of the world they live in. They look at the world through fresh eyes, and uh, that fresh eyes helps you 
to question yourself and question the world constructively. The world becomes different for you, you discover. So I recommend that readers remember Alice. Um, In comparing Read Dangerously to two of your other books, you've said, this book is a sibling to Reading Lolita and Republic of Imagination. One was about the totalitarian mindset. The other one was about the democratic mindset. This one is about the clash between the totalitarian and the democratic mindset and how we go about it. Can you say more about what you mean about that last part, the clash between the two mindsets and how we go about it? Well, you know, um, in a country like Iran, for example, the totalitarian mindset is already uh, in place. And so the clashes within that system are very different. When you go to democracies, democracies like U.S. is not like Iran. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that um, U.S. is a totalitarian society. It's a democratic society with um, many totalitarian trends and tendencies right now at work. And the most important uh, tendency towards totalitarianism, you find, is what all totalitarian societies do when they want to come in power. And that is to lie, to fabricate, to fabricate reality according to the image you want others to have of that reality, to create this illusion, this grand illusion. You see it today, that clash between um, the mindset that follows the illusion and the kind of mindset that uh, refuses it, um, stands up to it. In 1988, Salman Rushdie published the novel The Satanic Verses, and in response, the Ayatollah Khomeini issued a fatwa against him, calling for his death as punishment for blasphemy. In your letter to your father about Rushdie and the Satanic Verses, you say, The fatwa confirmed my belief in the close association between imagination and reality. Suppression of one inevitably leads to suppression of the other. Can you say more about this relationship and why imagination can be such a powerful weapon? You know, there is this constant um, struggle between um, the poet and the writer and the tyrant, because each of them, in their own way, recreate reality. A tyrant, uh, in order to control, will tell us that the way we are, the way we feel, the way we act uh, is not what we uh, think it is. It is how he uh, thinks it is. Um, You have it in the Islamic Republic, especially in regards to women, where they go to the point where they want to redo women's reality through refashioning their bodies, the way they appear in public. They want to uh, have possession of that. This is the exact opposite of fiction, uh, of writing. Um, A writer like Roshti or any other uh, great or good writer, he or she is after the truth. Mm -hmm. And truth 
is always dangerous because once you know it, you become complicit if you remain silent. By nature, a great novel is subversive and dangerous. And so this hostility um, exists where the tyrant uh, tries to silence the writer. And you see this in almost every society where a totalitarian mindset either rules or wants to come to power. The poets and writers and journalists in Iran were among the first who were jailed, tortured, and murdered. And this is happening still as we speak. And in the United States, the totalitarian trends, what do they do? They ban books. Mm-hmm. They censor books. They take them out of the libraries and schools. That is the first sign of danger. It should be an al- alarm for us um, when books are banned, uh, when there is the self-righteous debate about why they should be banned. Um, so one question I ask in that book is, what is it about these men and women whose only weapon is their pen, is their words. What is it that makes them so dangerous that some of the most powerful men on earth want them dead, want to eliminate them? Is it not because they offer a different way of looking and behaving in the world that is not dictatorial? And that is what is so frightening to tyrants um, from anywhere in the world, uh, including democratic countries. Read Dangerously focuses mostly on works of fiction, but it also includes references to works by authors who write or wrote both fiction and nonfiction, like James Baldwin and Ta-Nehisi Coates. How do you think fiction impacts us differently than nonfiction and Is one more dangerous than the other? I don't know if one is more dangerous um, than the other. They serve different functions. Uh, Nonfiction is also um, in its own way after the truth. Uh, You see this in great journalism. Uh, They are after facts, and facts are dangerous to tyrannical mindsets as well. Mm -hmm. But fiction... One of the things that is fascinating to me about fiction is that by structure, it is democratic. I mean, the act of writing should be so that the writer can transcend even his own prejudices. We talk about diversity. Look at the structure of the novel. The novel is comprised of different characters from different backgrounds, gender, race, um, ethnicity, religion, all of these different backgrounds that are within a framework interacting with one another. Um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes they confront one another. The plot um, moves forward through creating tensions within and between these characters. Even the villain, even the bad guy, has a voice of his own. So fiction becomes dangerous. 
the two aspects of it is anti-totalitarian. One is its democratic structure, and two, its search for truth. You say in Read Dangerously, it is not only censorship that is dangerous to the well-being of a society, but also the mindlessness created by the constant demand for entertainment and sensationalism, a desire to remain on the surface and avoid the complexities and difficulties presented by ideas and imaginations. Can you say more about how the demand for entertainment and consumption of shallow content undermines democracy? Um, and I, I'm also wondering on a personal note, can I be a good citizen and still binge watch Ted Lasso? Because I would really hate to give up Ted Lasso. <laughs> I, uh, I do it all the time. From good. order to Frasier. To, you know. Terrific. Okay. Yeah. Now that we've got that settled. Um, so how, how does this demand for entertainment? and, it's and when reality itself uh, becomes entertainment. When uh, we abdicate our responsibility as individuals uh, and uh, want to evade the pain that reality has in its toe, this turning everything into entertainment, even politics becomes entertainment. That mm -hmm. is what I saw when I came back to United States, that everything is an evasion of reality. The, the reality shows uh, the use of um, constant scandal on the news and uh, something that we don't think of, uh, this um, ideological way of looking at the world, therefore abdicating responsibility from you. The world is divided into good and bad. Mm -hmm. The white hats and the black hats. There is no uh, shades of color in between. We all know that those others are enemy of the people and we're the good guys. This is how this society moves from entertainment to ridding itself of responsibility to be a good citizen, to know reality. Uh, so many times we censor a work of art because we say we are not comfortable with this. How many times a week do you hear people saying they're not comfortable with this? Well, bloody hell, life is not comfort. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it has comfort, but life is full of pain. And uh, life is not all entertainment. It is not all about whether Jennifer Lopez married uh, Ben Affleck. Part of it is that. And it's okay. But when life becomes an evasion and when fiction is told to not make us uncomfortable, to not disturb us, then we're in trouble. I just wanted to end by quotation from James Baldwin, who used to say, artists are here to disturb the peace. And that is why we write and we create art, uh, to disturb, not to comfort. You say in Read Dangerously, in Iran, like all totalitarian states, the regime pays too much attention to poets and writers, harassing, jailing, and even killing them. The problem in America is that too little attention is paid to them. Are these equally problematic, too much attention and too little attention, or are they problematic in different ways? 
both of them are after destroying imaginational ideas. That is what their main function is. The Islamic Republic um, is scared of any form of diversity. So um, they quash the voices of uh, writers and, and readers as well. Writers uh, and readers are joined at the hip. When one is censored, the other is, in fact, uh, also deprived uh, of freedom of expression. But in a democratic society, we do not put our writers and poets in jail. We do not torture them and we do not kill them. What we do is we act towards imagination and ideas with indifference. You see this in our system of education. Over the past few decades, it has been moving towards uh, a corporate way of uh, looking at things, which uh, encourages students uh, to uh, choose areas of knowledge, not because they're in love with them, not because they are passionate about them, but because of how much money they make. Therefore, imagination ideas, namely humanities and liberal arts, uh, are denigrated. There was a time uh, within this country when uh, teachers didn't get much money, but they had a lot of respect. Mm -hmm. There was respect for knowledge. And now we have lost that to corporate mindset and to ideological mindset. Both of them are enemies of um, freedom of expression and uh, freedom to um, imagine and to think. I also wanted to remind you of a quotation from Ray Bradbury. He used to say, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. All you have to do is make people not read books. You're reminding me of a section in your Rushdie chapter about the Plato Republic. You say, when I read the Republic today, one of the things that I take away from it is that it is not true that we all want the freedom of knowledge because it comes at a high price. It comes with pain and loneliness. It demands commitment and responsibility. The most seductive aspect of totalitarian society is the security that it offers. The truth is uncomfortable, and a dictator promises an abdication of responsibility from it. This is an important theme in your book, and I wonder, is there a way to get comfortable with the complexity that knowledge requires? Uh, freedom has... Uh, as Saul Bellow used to say, is an ordeal. In this culture, we have become lax, and therefore freedom and knowledge which leads to freedom is um, denigrated and taken away from us. In this society, we do not um, respect knowledge because we are afraid that it brings with it ambiguity. We are afraid that instead of just questioning the world or others, it will make us question ourselves. Mm -hmm. Ignorance has become order of the day. Reading literature and philosophy will teach you to have an independent mindset. It teaches you to be generous towards others, to not 
Live on Hate. Um, the books I've chosen for uh, Read Dangerously, they all talk about the enemy and how dehumanizing the enemy is dehumanizing yourself. One of the most um, dangers of a totalitarian society is um, the way the totalitarians make you become like them. They spew hate, you spew hate. I see it in myself. I saw it uh, when I was living in Iran. Sometimes I would get so angry that I would want them all dead. I lived with my hate. Uh, while I should have lived with the love of what I believed in. In the United States, I see people who are against these totalitarian mindsets, but when it comes to dealing with others, um, they themselves become censors. They themselves um, become haters. Baldwin used to say, uh, hate is there because it wants to cover up the pain. Uh, to evade pain. And uh, I think he's right. You wrote Read Dangerously between the fall of 2019 and June 2020. If you were to write another letter to your father today, what would you say? You know, everything that has happened over the past few years um, has been um, coming to the surface of the same problems that had existed. Uh, I mean, they had existed before my book. Um, only we weren't paying attention to them. Therefore, we did not see them. Mm. So um, there will be a chapter where I would talk to my father about the abortion, uh, the abolition of uh, Roe v. Wade and um, the banning of books, uh, the constant uh, lies that have become part of our life, all of these have come to the surface in a way that we haven't had them before. I also will tell him that I have, in the Havelian sense of the word, hope. I'm hoping that the institutions are strong enough uh, to weather this period, uh, I would talk to him more about how this is a period of transition and um, the way we act um, will determine whether we'll go to the totalitarian way or the democratic way. And I'll tell him that I'm a little bit afraid. I don't mean to be a downer, but this seems like the right moment to point out that Italy's new prime minister is the head of the political party that was started by one of Mussolini's aides in 1946 expressly to continue the work of the fascist dictator. And that Giorgia Maloney has had a warm welcome in the United States by various right-wing political leaders and groups over the last several years. And then there's the fact that 50% of Americans have lost a fundamental right to agency over our bodies. So Azar is right to be a little bit afraid. God, Eve, I mean, I wish that were the whole list. Like, that's not even, yeah. it's just the start. Anyway, that's why it's so important, of course, to maintain a critical mindset. There's a quote from Read Dangerously that I keep coming back to, and I want to share it here. Azar says, this is the central struggle between those in power and the storytellers, the fight over the meaning of truth, the tension between illusion and imagination. Imagination reveals the truth, clarifies it, 
while illusion hides the truth, turning it opaque. I plan to try to keep that distinction between illusion and imagination in mind, and of course, keep reading great books. Yes, yes. Thank God for novels. <laughs> and maybe even more. Yeah, let's try to do more. Yeah, too, more, right? more yeah. books. I mean, yeah. seriously, what else in the world is a source of both comfort and resistance? Yes, and what a nice positive note to end on. I'm going to say that is it for this episode of the Book Dreams podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe if you haven't already. And if you like the podcast and think someone else would too, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. As always, you can reach us at contact at bookdreamspodcast.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. You can find Azar at azarnafisi.com and on Twitter at azarnafisi. Many thanks to our producer, Gianfranco Lentini, and to our theme music composer, Maya Polsky. You can find Eve at eviohallam.com and me at juliesternberg.com. And check out the podcast website, www.bookdreamspodcast.com. Until next time, happy book dreaming. Happy book dreaming. Love, come listen to Book Dreams with Julian.